Hey everyone, welcome to Knickknack Nerd. I'm Greg Burlett, and I'm here with my friend Anthony Keelan. Today we are talking about 3D printing, something that I have admired from afar. I've never really got into it before. Uh, Anto actually owns a 3D printer, um, so he's a, a bona fide expert in 3D printing. Definitely not a bona fide expert. I <laughs> uh, just want to make that clear. I have uh, dabbled and uh, you know printed some things here or there, but there are definitely people much more qualified than myself uh, to speak on 3D printing. But uh, I think it's really cool and something I enjoy doing and, and tinkering around with. Um, so, you know, kind of want to expose that to some other people if we can. Yeah, so I, I think the goal here is, um, I guess, Anto getting me up to speed to the point where if I wanted to 3D print something, I would know a, a good idea of what I would need to buy and what software I would need to actually design some things to 3D print. And basically, you know, give me the knowledge to be able to 3D print and, and all of you out there. So uh, to start off, 3D printing is uh, what, uh, uh, you know, it's a type of manufacturing called additive manufacturing. Um, and what that means is instead of like cutting pieces away from a block like you would in like, say, a CNC or something where they take a block of metal and they drill out the parts they don't want. Instead What's of doing a CNC? That, we, Command and conquer? Uh, no, it's uh, basically a computer-controlled cutter um, gotcha. in layman's terms. Uh, yeah, so like that's how they make high-precision machine parts, uh, really repeatability, really repeatable and quickly. Um, so the opposite of that is instead of cutting things away, we melt them or fuse them together. Um, so you have potentially a lot less waste material um, but also it takes it can take a lot longer to to make the part you're looking to make so there's certainly different trade-offs there so that's basically what 3d printing is uh, but like why would you even use 3d printing um one it's fairly cheap to do uh certainly a lot cheaper than going to your machinist and saying hey can you uh i got this model can you cut this for me out of aluminum? Um, the shapes you can make, you can make really complex shapes really cheaply as well, which uh, if you get into machining, it's really, it gets a lot more expensive to make complex shapes because you need um, even more capable uh, CNC machines. You probably need like, a, you know, a five axis machine to make really complicated parts. So like what, what 3D printing is typically used for is like prototyping and fast iteration on parts and so they'll make the parts out of plastic typically 3d printing um to get a prototype going until they get the design kind of ironed out and then once they find out um that hey this design works they'll they'll move into maybe a more precise and you know manufacturing oriented process and, and go with metal parts right do they ever use um, also um, sorry do they ever use um a 3d printed part like for example a prototype to then create a mold that they would um, actually either injection mold with plastic or um, like actually forge, like throw in some, some liquid iron into there and then actually form the final part. Uh, so yeah, you can definitely use uh, 3d printing to create molds um, 
when you're doing that, you obviously really want to make sure you get a nice smooth surface. Uh, but you definitely can do that. So you would make, you know, you can make the part you want, and then you could cast clay around it. Typically, if you're gonna want to, like, you know, you make a metal part, you probably want to use a clay mold, um, or you can make a silicone soft mold um, around it, and then you can like, you know, pour your plastic into that and make your plastic part that way. So yeah, you definitely do stuff like that too. Like you don't have to. Your end product doesn't have to be um, a piece of plastic. Uh, it can be a means to get to, you know, a different piece for sure. So, um, you know, some other things, uh, a lot of people in uh, the cosplay industry uh, make their own props and parts and stuff like that. And, you know, in the past, they would they would cut things out of foam um, and, and that sort of thing. But now they've been kind of augmenting their costumes also with 3D printed parts. Like you'll see a lot of... Uh, People with 3D printed, like, for example, Mandalorian masks from the new Star Wars show um, or, you know, various pistols and weapons and and all sorts of like little doodads to go on, on your cosplay to make it look, you know, more more screen authentic. Mm -hmm. um, you can also use it to make cheap uh, replacement parts. Um, so a guy I know recently, like in his, his RV freezer, he broke the hinges and they were the replacement parts were like 150 bucks for a pair of hinges for his freezer. And I printed him the hinges for like 35 cents. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, so it can come in handy. Um, and obviously like the, the next thing, um, is just, you know, it's a lot of fun. You can make whatever you want. There's a lot of like open source, for example, like, robot designs on the internet where you, they have like all the the files you can download and for all the different robot parts and then you just have to get the electronics and put put that all together and then you have a little robot my friend was showing me um a complete 3d printed record player um and it was a kit mm -hmm. so it, it would come with um the design files if you wanted to print it yourself yep. or or the actual final um 3d printed parts that you actually just buy so you don't even need a 3d printer um and then it had the little rotor mo motor in there mm -hmm. to spin the platter and yep. uh it looked really cool it's actually really sweet sounds really cool i don't know if i would want to use a 3d printed record player just because uh you know mass is a big thing that's really important to record players so mm -hmm. uh, and plastic parts don't have a ton of mass right stab it I think in in the the needle, like the stylus part that actually sits down on the record, that's where you, you mm -hmm. need some mass, right? Um, uh, the platter actually is where you need the most mass, and the and the actual stable, um, mean, yeah, and the actual base needs to be heavy too to resist vibrations. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, true. Because because uh, the whole whole premise of record players is based on you know those those little ridges, right? And if you get vibrations, it can really mess up the sound. Yeah, totally. Uh, it must have weights in it. I would. It must have like cavities or something you can put, uh, you know, ball bearings or something in to to weigh it down. Resisting the temptation to make dirty jokes there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. So. Um, yeah. So that's like why you would use three D printing. Um, there's there's a bunch of different types, um, and this list is kind of ranging from like. You know, I get this and I put this on my desktop. Uh, it's fairly affordable all the way down to, um, you know, this is commercial grade 
prototyping, pretty expensive uh, technology, right? So the first one, the cheapest one, um, is called uh, Fusion, Fused Deposition Modeling, or FDM. It's uh, all the 3D printers you'd see typically on YouTube, you know, with the real plastic going in, and then the, you know, the object being printed on a flatbed. That's uh, the one that you so have, that, right? That's the one that I have. It's yeah. it's the most common. Um, they can be fairly accurate. You know, you're not going to get insane accuracy out of them, especially with the the one, open air ones. But there's lots of uh, you know closed box ones where you can get really really good results on. Isn't um isn't a a deposition uh, when when you testify in court? Uh, that is <laughs> one meaning of the word. <laughs> Yeah, the English language is... So, it like, deposition as in deposit, right? So, like, you're fusing what you deposit onto the model. Is that why they use deposition in court? Because you're, you're dropping I've... some knowledge on people? You know what? Uh, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't answer From... that question. From 3D printing I, I... to the etymology of uh, legal words. Um... Yeah, so then after that, you have stereolithography, which is probably like the oldest um, means of 3D printing. So basically, you have uh, a liquid of uh, photosensitive plastic in its liquefied state, and you beam a laser at the parts that you want to be solid. And then once that layer is done, it moves the plate down, and obviously the liquid floods over top, and it does the same thing over and over um, with the laser beaming on the parts, it wants to be solid. Um, so a little bit different. How, how, sorry, how does it how does it flood fill um, to your design? Uh, so it so it has it's a vat, and yeah. there's a platter in the vat, and it starts off with the platter being at the very top of the vat with just mm -hmm. uh, a very thin layer of liquid over top of it. There's like around the edges, the the liquid can go around the plate. That is the oh, bed, right? okay, yeah. Okay, so then, you know, the laser uh, effectively, I don't know, heats up or reacts with the, the plastic and solidifies it. And then the bed moves down and additional liquid goes over top, creating a new layer. And then it hardens the layer on top with the laser and so on. So instead of building That's up from really a plate, cool. it goes down from the top of the surface of the liquid. I, I have to watch a YouTube video of this now. You should definitely watch a YouTube video. We'll we'll probably include some videos of all the different uh, methods in the show notes. That's um, actually that's, that's cool. genius. That's very cool. Um, so those ones are more for commercial application. Like if if I haven't seen that before, then yeah, it's well obviously liquid a lot messier to work with. For one, mm -hmm. you don't really want that on your desktop, right? Um, so there there are some. I'm sure there's some people that have them in their homes or their, their garage shops or whatever, but um, for the most part, you'll, you'll probably see the FDM in people's shops. So what, what's the benefit of, of using, um, that's the SLA, right? Yep. The stereolithography. Um, what's, what's the benefit uh, of that? Can you print larger things than you would with the hotbed or is it more uh, stable? The main benefit, of... well, the, the main benefit is, um, they like obviously you can dial in the the layer thickness a lot better and uh you know fdm you know you're, you're stringing plastic along right so um 
variances in the thickness of the actual plastic filament can cause uh, you know feed rate differences and stuff. So with if the material is already all there, you don't have to deal with feed rate of the material. All you have to deal with is cure time of the laser, and the laser is a lot easier to fine tune in that mm. way than you know how someone extruded some plastic in a factory somewhere nowhere near you. Hmm. All right, so the next one, DLP, um, is basically almost identical to SLA, but it uses multiple light sources and some mirrors um, to achieve a similar effect. Um, just more expensive and, in some cases, more accurate. Okay. Um, and then next one, this one is, like, the most expensive one that is, uh, you know, it's really, you know, the commercial one. You can make metal parts with this. You can make metal parts um, with some of the other methods too, but this is the one you, the most common. Um, so selective layer centering, laser centering, I mean. Um, so basically, it's the same as a stereolithography, except instead of a liquid, you would use a powder of the material you're looking um, to, to create your part out of. How does the, how does the platter move um, if it's not a liquid? Like if it's a powder, how does it, you know, move vertically in that? So typically, um, it's same thing. It's in a cube, um, and it goes down. And there's there's usually an arm that will spread the layer of sand or powder across, um, and make sure it's flush to the top. Okay. Every time watching a video will will really help. I can't really do it justice by <laughs> by describing it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm for sure gonna check that out. Um, and like the big advantages of this one is like that there's a huge, huge array of different materials you can work with using this method. Um, and it's also very quick, um, uh, when compared to like the FDM version where you have like, you know, you're going basically tracing out every single point along the, the part, um, like, and you can only move the molten plastic so fast, right? But a laser can can heat up the the powder very quickly because the layers are so fine, right? So it can, it can zip through it very quickly and then move to the next layer um, in seconds instead of, you know, potentially, you know, minutes for one layer on uh, an FDM print. Hmm. That's really cool. So, so much faster. Um, but, you know, and also with the, you know, the laser centering version, uh, you don't need supports for parts with overhangs and stuff because the actual powder in the cube uh, supports uh, the structure until you take it out. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that makes sense. All right. So um, I guess the first thing when you're getting into 3D printers is, uh, hey, it's like, what am I, what 3D printer do I get? Which, like, there's so many options out there. What do I actually need, right? Um, mm -hmm. You obviously need to have a 3D printer to, to make 3D prints um, if you want to do them at your home. However, there's a lot of other options you could use as well. Um, most cities have maker spaces where you can go to and probably take a short course on using the equipment. And then, uh, you know, they'll let you use the equipment there for their monthly membership fee. Or uh, here in Edmonton and, and a lot of other places, the, the local library actually has 3D printers. And you just pay for the material. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the, the library downtown um, in our city has that for sure. Yep, they do. And it's pretty cool that they have that. I think you have to give them uh, the design file. Um, 
and then they just print it for you. Uh, so you can do that if uh, you want to dip your toes in but not commit. There's also like tons of websites you can give a 3D model to, um, and, and they'll charge you for the print and then shipping, and it can get pretty expensive going that way. So um, i definitely check out your local library or local makerspace first if you want to just get your toes wet. Or, you, Greg, you could just come over here and we can do something. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, so once you've decided that, you know what, I'm going to commit to this 3D printing thing, um, and you want to actually go out and buy a 3D printer, um, you get a couple of options, right? So um, there's the entry-level printers. Um, you know, they can run between, you know, $1 to, you know, $400. Um, but anything less than about $300, I'd probably try to stay away from. Uh, there's going to be too much slop um, in the actual printer. You're going to be fighting with it a lot to, to get a decent result. Um, and then you have your more middle of the pack, so like your 400 to your about $850. Um, that's the kind of printer I have. Uh, it's a Prusa Mark III. Um, there's, there's a lot of cheaper clones of that same printer um, in, in the lower price ranges. Um, I opted for the Prusa just because... Um, you know, I wanted something, something I could trust and something I could go back to with warranty issues or anything uh, if I wanted to do that. Um, and, and so actually like the, like the chassis is all aluminum and like all, all the carriage and, and stuff is actually um, 3D printed plastic parts uh, made by printers of the same type back in, uh, I think it's the Czech Republic. Uh, I hope that's right. Um, but I, th I think that's where where they actually do the, the printing for, for these specific printers. Um, and did, yeah, so did you need to, when they shipped it to you, did you need to construct the 3D printing box and, and the arm and everything like that? Or did they just sh ship you the box? I, I opted for the unassembled version because I wanted to put it together myself. Um, but they oh they 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 give you two versions yeah they they do allow you to s select uh you know a completely assembled version, uh, but with the distance it was being shipped and stuff like that um, you know I thought I might as well assemble it myself and get to know how the whole thing works so if I ever need to do upgrades or anything I kind of know a little bit more about what's going on, um and and can deal with that cool you know I'm I'm pretty mechanically inclined so I like that sort of thing as well so you know. It's fun project yeah i think I, I would try and do the same yeah it's definitely a fun project and i enjoyed that um and then so you know the step up from there is like the thousand dollar plus printers um typically they'll have like an enclosed uh box um, um you know so they can print plastics like abs that have heat shrink heat shrinkage issues um where if they don't keep like the ambient air around the part like close-ish to the temperature of of the rest of the part you know parts of it'll shrink weird and it'll curl up um and your print will fail and that that can be really bad so um it helps to have an enclosure for those types of prints obviously um if you buy one of the lower end printers you can make your own enclosure um that can do the same thing um like a cardboard box i don't know if i would use a cardboard box but um <laughs> something that provides a little bit more uh heat trapping probably be better but like you could probably get away with it depending on the, the level of accuracy you're looking for and then obviously you know if you want to get into those sls printers you know they're they're like the ten thousand dollar plus uh 3d printers and you know I, I bet that there's no upper bound in what you could spend it's like anything right there you can pay as much 
or as little as you want, and the amount of uh, finicking around you have to do is kind of proportional to that, except when you get into the really high end, you end up, you know, tweaking and fiddling a lot more anyways, because, you know, you're trying to, like, eke out the absolute maximum from that thing, typically, if you're spending that much money, right? So, um, you know. I want to I want to use NASA's 3D printer. I bet it's insane. Maybe. I have no idea what they use to 3D print things. I bet they have it, though, for prototyping. But they have a really good one. With the emergence of SpaceX, I'm not sure that NASA does a whole lot of uh, making stuff in-house anymore. Maybe they do. I could be could be completely off base. Um, yeah, that's true. Could you, could you imagine? You remember that movie with um, Tom Hanks? Was it Apollo Eleven? I don't know. I think it was Apollo. I think it was the Apollo Eleven mission. It wasn't just a movie. Like this is obviously nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Like, this actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um. But the Tom Hanks movie is just so dang good, you know? Um, so they they had a whole scrum meeting mm-hmm. where I think that there was uh, an issue on the spacecraft with the um, CO2 filtering or something like that. Yeah. It's been a while since I, I read about that. And then um, they had a, you know, like a hodgepodge of, of parts on, on the spacecraft and they needed to figure out, you know, how they could you know, Jerry rigged this thing together so that they wouldn't die from like CO2 poisoning. And, uh, the guys, um, in mission control in Houston were like figuring out how to rig something together. You know, just bring a 3d printer into space. You're good to go. Yeah. 3d printer, some filament, and then you can just send the guy the files and, uh, they can uh, print up something. It'll work in a pinch for sure. That must be, Totally something like I bet. Do they have a three D printer on the International um, Space Station? I don't they know, must. but uh, I would say they probably would now. Like they're not very heavy. The heaviest part is the plastic filament you have to bring up, and you know that even that stuff's not that heavy. Uh, but it does take up a fair bit of space, so you kind of have to be careful that way uh, when you're, yeah, when you're talking true. about space travel. And and I guess the. Um... What's the um, SLS one or? Yeah, that oh uh, the stereolithography where where it's um you have the the liquid and the laser mm-hmm. that probably wouldn't uh, that wouldn't work in space, hey? No, the the SLS and I, I mean it all uses gravity um to some degree, so maybe maybe it wouldn't work in space. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's there's methods you could use to make it work, but um like the SLS and uh, you know stereolithography as well. Uh, like they rely on gravity a lot to uh yeah, to make it work. That's what I was thinking. Uh, same with the FDM. It also relies on gravity a lot, but um, like for actually, uh, like when it shoots out the um, the the hot plastic, and then it's kind of forming and cooling. Yeah. So it's does the gravity like come into play there, like to make sure that the plastic sits properly on the previously um. Uh, deposited layer i think is that how it works or i don't know if gravity is required you might have to have a lot uh tighter layer spacings um and you could get away with it for sure well not for sure but maybe (laughs) Um, yeah yeah so so that might that one might actually work in space but the other two um would be a lot trickier to make work because you just have the you know the powder or the liquid kind of just floating everywhere and not being where you want it to be or, or maybe maybe they don't have a 3D printer on the ISS, 
just because it's a complete liability. They know that if they put a 3D printer up there, the engineers are just going to go rogue. Yeah, and they're like, it's okay, NASA, on your next, on your next um, Falcon X, bringing up supplies. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I've already printed the parts. We're going to put it onto the ISS. We're going to be golden. Yeah. That's probably why they don't allow them to have one. Yeah, maybe not. Well, they're pretty uh, strict on uh, you know chain of command and what what they do and everything. So I'm not sure that would really be an issue. Um, you know what what happens in space stays in space, Santo. Well, maybe we should ask Chris Hadfield. He he would have some yeah, interesting true. stories. Maybe. I'll just call him up. Call him up, <laughs> <laughs> fellow Canadian. <laughs> yeah, we're um, all friends here. Chris Hadfield, I I found your your LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have something in common. We're both Canadian, you know? So yeah, um, you want to answer this question us. about... <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's really funny. No, we should try and email him. Yeah, well, Why not? Let's do it. Ask him. Is there a 3D printer yeah. on the space station? I bet we could just Google that and uh, something we could. That up. would probably be a lot easier than <laughs> trying to track down Chris Hadfield. <laughs> probably. Um, okay, so... Uh, moving on a little bit here. Um, so once you have your 3D printer, what do you do? It's assembled. You got it all set up. It's ready to go. It's calibrated. Um, all things you need to do to get it going. There's a bunch of test test files you can print um, to make sure everything's working correctly. So assuming there's, all that is wait, gone. Wait, hold on. Hold on. There's, there's a test page? Like, you know when you get a... Like a lame, you know, 2D printer, yep. right? Yep. With one less D. You, you have this, this uh, like the standard Windows, mm-hmm. you know, like printer test page. Mm-hmm. What What is the the quintessential, you know, test 3D object? Like, what do you, what do you print? A little boat. A little boat? You print a little boat. I can't remember the name of the boat right now, but uh, that's like the quintessential thing. It tests things... Um, like overhang and uh, all sorts of, you know, like important things you need for it to do, you know, the things you expect your 3D printer to do properly. Do you, do you still have your boat? Your first boat? Uh, it's probably kicking around here somewhere. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, so, yeah, like there's all these. So, you know, you do that, look at your results, see what's wrong then you probably go to the 3d printing reddit and be like hey guys my boat's messed up in this way and they can usually point you in the right direction that's amazing that with with no context people around the world could understand what you mean by hey my boat's messed up i mean those you'll say like hey my boat is droopy in this location and they'll be like oh that's usually caused by this um or something right or like it's really stringy across these places and they'll be like oh that's then you know that's usually a result of this issue, and they can. I, they can I hate when when you have a stringy boat. Yeah, you, know? you don't want a stringy boat, man. That's not good. No. Amazon is a website that will ship you anything you need in life, literally anything. You can even buy uranium ore and start your own nuclear reactor today. Sign up for an Amazon Prime subscription and get two-day free shipping, access to Prime Video and music streaming services, and 20% off diapers delivered right to your door. You don't even need to take off your pajamas. 
Sign up for Prime using the link bit.ly forward slash Amazon Knickknack Nerd, which also supports this podcast. And now back to the show. Um, so you've got it all calibrated. You've done your, your test page uh, little boat and you're ready to go. You're like, I want to 3D print something. You're like, well, I don't know what I want to 3D print. So you got a couple of options here. You can one model something in your favorite 3D modeling package. You know, a common pick is usually Fusion 360 or Blender. Or you can use anything, but those two allow you to, you know, use a real scale. So that's always helpful when you're making a real world object. Um, so you can either do that or you can go to white websites like uh, Thingiverse, kind of like the GitHub of 3D printing, right? So um, people put up their, their print files or their model files there and you can download them and uh, 3D print them. Uh, so it's pretty cool. That's where I found like the, the hinges for that, that friend of mine that I work with uh, to, for his freezer in his RV. Uh, they were up on Thingiverse. Someone had already had the issue, and so I printed them out, made a couple small tweaks. That's and uh, that is the races. absolutely insane. Yep, that is so freaking cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, the the end product isn't really that cool. I mean, it's it's a hinge for a freezer. Yep, but it's so cool that someone else somewhere in the world has this RV with this you know freezer mm-hmm. and ran into it and then posted it online. Yep. That's so cool. Yep, open source is cool, even with 3D printers. Really cool. Um, so yeah, you can you can you know go to Thingiverse, download something, um, yeah, or make your own. So um, that's your option. So once you have your model file, like you got your 3D object, right? Um, if you were to just give that object to your 3D printer, it wouldn't know what the heck you're talking about. It's like, bro, I only understand two dimensions, actually, right? It just understands two dimensions and then it moves up and it does, you know, that two dimensional plane and it moves up and does the next two dimensional plane. So what you actually have to do is translate that 3D object into a bunch of layers um, for your 3D printer to print. Okay, so this is, okay, so, because there is a time aspect. So really it's like 4D, right? Because uh, you, you have the three dimensional object, but then um, it it is built over time. Right, so that's your fourth dimension. So the yeah, the time would be like you typically view time as like that the feed rate of your your material. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So not not really on like a slice level, right? No, this like like if you were to hop through like an MRI image or something like that, and you see like you know slices of someone's brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly that's, that's what I'm thinking. There's of no it. yeah, the MRI has no time thing in it either, right? It's just like these are all the slices of the brain. Um, and it's a, mm-hmm. the exact same um, thing as that. Um, and what you actually do is uh, run your 3D model through another program called a slicer. So there's two pretty popular options. One's called Kira, and the other one is called Prusa Slicer, um, which obviously um, is you know synonymous with the, the Prusa 3D printers, which is the one that I have. And... Uh, you know, they both work really well. They have lots of uh, convenience options. So you can set in them, like if you want supports, um, what kind of infill. So instead of making a solid object, um, it'll fill in like a mesh inside your object. They use less plastic. Um, so you can set oh, the percentage cool. of the internal volume you want to be, want that mesh to take up. You can set the layer thickness. 
So you can go like really, really tiny layer thickness for like, a, you know, a more high res print. Um, it'll take a lot longer to print. Or you can go for, you know, you just want like the general idea and you can go for a pretty thick layer thickness. Um, it'll look kind of crappy, but that might be all you need for your prototype. So why waste the extra time? Right? What's what's the thickest that you can go? Oh, I'd have to, I'd have to look on my printer. Um, but it's definitely like can you print like a like a centimeter at a time? No, it's like sub millimeter. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you you like I typically go with uh, you know a, a kind of balanced setting of relatively thin, but uh, you know not not super thin. Like I'm not look. I don't want to wait. 20 hours for something that's like two centimeters tall to print well because some of the things that um that you were printing still took something like eight nine hours to finish yeah they're really and it was just like a like a board game box yeah. insert to hold some pieces and yeah stuff, they right? were like they're not overly complicated they were pretty large pieces though um yeah that was for the the dinosaur dinosaur island yeah i've done them called? for for a couple games um, I could have yeah. obviously um, made them out of foam core or something, but uh, you know. I'd but rather, you have a three D printer. I have a three D so. printer, and I wanted you, to you use it, flex so, on so it. I used it. That's right. <laughs> so you have your so you got your model. You've sliced it with your slicing software. Uh, so then you load it onto your typically an SD card. You plug that into your printer, and uh, you click print, and then you're like, oh shit. I actually need some plastic to print this 3D print with. See. So you... Oh, oh, hey, hey, uh, actually, hold on. So the file that you put onto the SD card mm -hmm. that transfers to the the 3D printer. Yep. Is is that file the 3D model? No, that. Or is it the output of the the slicer? It's the output of the slicer. So uh, the slicer will output what uh, yeah, it's called G code, uh, typically. Okay. And that, what, what's an STL? I've seen like on Thingiverse. STL is uh like a a three D model file. Okay, so that that is not it is the file format that the printer would no because you when you slice it you put in all the different factors of like the the layer thickness, um and then it, you add in if you want it to have any supports that the slicing program will add in the supports to hold like if you have big overhangs that need supports. Um, mm. your slicing software can add that stuff in. It'll add in if you want like a brim on the bottom to keep it affixed to your your uh, print surface. Like if you have a part with like really tiny surfaces on the bottom, you might want a brim so it doesn't come off and you don't end up with like a tangled piece of plastic. It's kind of like your, your print options. Like for a 2D printer, like right before mm -hmm. you print, like getting it all set up to actually do the printing, right? Except a little bit smarter. Right. Every printer is a little different, which is why they don't just supply the G-code because, you know, different right. pre printers speak, you know, slightly different G-code dialects sometimes. And, uh, you know, you might want different settings, uh, different layer thicknesses, all that stuff. So they leave that up to the actual person that's doing the printing to, to choose those options and slice it themselves. Cool. So, so on, like, Thingiverse, I would get a STL file. Typically, and then yeah. I would have to throw it through a slicer myself yep. to do like the, the print setup, and then and then I can print it out. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Cool. All right, so 
you know, you get, you're ready to print, you have, and you're like, oh crap, I need some plastic now. How, like, I've got to have something to print with. Um, so what I usually do is I jump on Amazon, um, and look for some, you know, PLA 3D print filament usually. Uh, there's lots of different, uh, kinds of filaments you can get. You can get, you know, filaments that'll print, um, like flexible materials even, um, wood like materials that you can sand like that sands nicely like wood um you can get is it is it wood uh particles embedded in plastic yep how does yep like exactly there's a wood down? suspension in the plastic that's how oh, it works cool. um and you can get uh like you can get abs filament or you know all sorts of different kinds of plastics but the the typical like i just got into this um you know, kind of general use plastic is PLA. Don't ask me what PLA stands for. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Uh, but mm. so you'll get that your your you know one kilogram roll of PLA typically. It's got about a thousand meters of filament on there, um, for about fifty Canadian dollars, uh, more or less. Like you know, plus or minus ten dollars depending on you know various things. That's so it'd be like, you know, 35 US, something like that. Something like that. So, um, you know what, it's for, you know, it's not the cheapest thing. Ultimately, if you're going to make everything out of pretty 3D printed stuff, it could get pretty pricey. Um, but also like a kilometer of filament goes a pretty long way. Um, in my experience. Yeah. I was going to ask, is there any waste? Uh, like what's the efficiency of, of 3D printing? So when you're actually heating things up, I'm guessing that you lose some of the material a little bit. Um, well, any of so like, is it... the water content is lost. If there's any water content, um, um, that's lost. Typically there's not too much of that. Um, uh, the, the most waste is it in the supports, um, and any of the, oh, the right. material you have to cut away, um, after your print is completed. So there definitely is some right. waste though. It's pretty minimal. Um, I would say less than less than one percent of the materials usually waste. Um, there's most things you print really won't require supports, um, if you have you know adequately set up your printer. Is it, okay. Um, this is kind of a a wild thought. So when I'm when I'm um, for example, like cutting cookies, for example, mm-hmm. I I roll out the dough. And then I cut out the shape of my cookies or if I'm making like bagels or donuts or whatever, right? Yep. Cut out the shape. And then I can take the dough and then squish it all together again and then, um, you know, roll it out again and then, you know, cut out some more, you know, cookie shapes, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Can you do that with a waste of already um, formed plastic? That's come out of a 3D printer. Uh, so let's say like the stuff that is holding up stuff or the base of stuff that you cut off. Can you like remelt that down into filament like a, like a recycling program or something like that? You, I believe you can. Or, you would have to melt it down and re-extrude it into that plastic filament. Right. Uh, because like the 3D printer requires the, the filament to be like have a circular diameter and be of a specific diameter within a certain tolerance, right? So if it, right. if it doesn't so meet I'm, those... I'm guessing if it's like 1%, it's so negligible that like nobody, nobody really does that, right? 
Uh, I don't think many people do it. There's some some people that are really really into three D printing that might might do that if they have like a lot of waste, uh, just adding up. Like that's you know it's plastic you can reuse maybe, um, mm-hmm. but uh, you know the general three D printing user would probably not do that. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So you got your plastic. Uh, you know, comes in, arrives on your door a couple of days later, you know, you feed it into your 3D printer, you know, most of them come with a little tutorial about how to, you know, like you turn on the, the hot end is, you know, the thing that melts the plastic. So you turn that on and then it usually has a load filament button. So you press that and you load the little end in and, you know, it goes until like the, the plastic starts coming out at the end and you say, okay, it's working. I'm ready to go. It's all loaded. So then once you're there, you take your file that you've got on your SD card, you plug it in, you pick that file, you select OK, and you say print. And then uh, you walk away and, uh, you know, in whatever time your print takes to print, you come back and hopefully it's all printed and not a tangled mess of plastic. Um, (laughs) The first one might end up that way. Mine didn't luckily, but... uh, yeah, it's always a possibility. So, but you know, ideally, you walk away, come back, and it's done. Um, and I, I gotta say, one one thing I didn't realize about three D printing was that it's actually pretty damn loud. Yeah, it. Um, I remember like being over at your place when you have stuff printing in the background in your office, and you kind of like walk by the door, and yeah, it's pretty loud. Yeah, like they use uh, they use stepper motors and threaded rods, a lot of them, right? So. Um, that stuff can be like it has a quiet mode that's still like not all that quiet, um, but it's certainly quiet, quieter than the not quiet mode. So, um, does yeah. the quiet mode make it slower? Uh, it's slightly slower, um, but it's like you know it's noticeably quieter also. Um, so it depending mm-hmm. on you know your tolerance for noise and if you have to be doing a lot of things or you know having phone calls and stuff at the same time, you might want to run it in quiet mode, right? Gotcha. Yeah, so um, you know, once you've you've got a couple prints under your belt, you might be thinking, "Hey, um, loading stuff on this SD card kind of sucks." Um, one, only my laptop has an SD card reader, um, and I probably usually aren't using that if I'm at home. I'll be using my desktop computer, um, and it's a pain in the ass to be putting stuff on this SD card all the time. So instead of using uh, that. You can get yourself a Raspberry Pi or Raspberry Pi Zero and uh, load up this application called Octoprint on it. And uh, so once you've got that installed, you can plug your printer into that and that'll act as like the middleman between your printer and you. So you can like anything on your home network, you can log into your printer on and you could just upload files straight to your printer from any computer on your home network. Um, and start printing and monitor the status of the print and it's got all sorts of plugins that'll like send you a text message when it's done printing or if it's run into issues or or whatever so really cool thing you can get into once you've got a couple prints under your belt especially if you're more of a technically inclined person um, definitely worthwhile doing we should um like we'll probably do a full episode on raspberry Pis and all the things you can do in them um, but basically it's it's a you know, a tiny microprocessor um, with Wi-Fi on board, some USB ports. You can plug in a, a keyboard and a, and a mouse. 
Um, and then usually, usually an HDMI. It's like a little mini computer. It's a computer um, the size of a credit card, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like the one, I have a Raspberry Pi Zero hooked up to my 3D printer, and it's actually about the size of half a credit card and not very thick at all. Mm-hmm. I think the one that I'm using for my Retro Pi, I think it's a Raspberry Pi 4? Yeah, it's the full full Raspberry Pi. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, specifically, like, in my instance, I have, you know, my Raspberry Pi Zero running Octoprint, and I've got uh, a camera hooked up to my Raspberry Pi Zero. Um, and I've got a plug-in in Octoprint that allows me to, uh, you know, use that as a webcam. So I can, like, if, I'm, if I want to be printing something... And I got to go out of the house. Uh, but, you know, 3D printers, you don't typically want to leave them, you know, unattended for too long. They're, you know, you got a hot end that's, you know, typically between 180 to 220 degrees Celsius. So, you know, it could start your house on fire if something were to go awry. So you want to keep an eye on it. Um, so this allows me to keep yeah, it. Yours has a little webcam feed on it, right? Yeah, exactly. So I've actually it. got... Um, there's an Octoprint app you can get on your phone also, um, and it can log in and access that webcam feed. I can turn the printer on and off from my phone if I see something that's gone wrong. Uh, Does it have um, machine learning built in so it can identify if, you know, like my house is on fire and then you, you stop the 3D print? I don't think I've used, uh, like done enough prints to even run machine learning on. So I, don't, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't be too... Um, trusting of the machine learning model also if you use machine learning you would need un- you would need labeled data so you would need a whole bunch of uh you know feeds of, of 3d printing that's caused houses to catch fire yeah to be the positive label <laughs> and, and probably those feeds would not exist because they burned down with the house <laughs> that's right <laughs> so so not a viable thing no i probably wouldn't go that route yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of the biggest uh, you know usability thing that that can really help you out. Um, there's all sorts of other plugins like you know, one that says like, hey, you know what? If I, I accidentally turned up the heat on this thing because I wanted to exchange some plastic in there, um, but I forgot about it, it'll like time out and just turn the heater off after like ten minutes of nothing happening, um, so you don't accidentally burn down your house or what have you. Um, there's all sorts of little plugins like that that can you know, increase the safety or, or make using it, you know, a little bit easier and more friendly. So yeah, that's kind of 3D printing in a nutshell, Greg. Do you got any other uh, questions? Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I think I have a few questions. Um, right. You want to pause for a quick break? Yeah, let's take, we'll a, into, take a quick uh, break and then um, we can do a little bit of a Q&A session. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. Humble Bundle is a video game subscription service that selects a bunch of fun games each month and you choose which games you want to keep forever. With the subscription, you also get a 20% discount off of thousands of games on the Humble Store. I often find myself browsing Steam not knowing what I want to play, when that time could be better spent trying a handful of good hand-picked games. Sign up for a Humble Choice Basic or Premium subscription using the link bit.ly forward slash humble nerd. Your subscription not only gets you a handful of great video games, but also supports this podcast. Now back to the show. All right. And we're back. Um, I was a great overview of 3d printing and 
actually learned a lot about 3D printing. Well, um, that's good. That was the goal. Yeah. I feel like I could get a 3D printer. I'd probably, you know, run some some possible 3D printers by you. Make sure that, that they're not crap. Mm-hmm. But um, after that, like, I would just go on Thingiverse and, you know, I know to put it through a slicer now, which is good. And I think I could probably print something, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I had a few questions. Um, just kind of, I guess, starting with, with the material itself. Um, sure. What kind of colors do they come in? And can I, like, create my own colors? Could I dye the material in any way? I mean, you could probably use dye sublimation after you print it, but typically um, I would just buy whatever color you want to print in. They come in a whole rainbow of colors. Uh, like, there sh- certainly isn't a shortage of colors that you, you can purchase. Um, that said, like, if you're... You're making it, you know, say you're making a prop or something. You're probably, the in undercoat color doesn't really matter. Uh, you're probably going to prime it and paint it and whatever anyway, so. Um, Can I interchange between different colors mid-print? Like, for example, if, um, if I was making, like, a figurine and the base, so, for example, like, the, the boots and, and the legs of the person being a, a specific color and then, like, maybe a flesh color... And then, like, can I change as I go vertically up in the print? You can change as you go vertically up in the print. I think that's a really important distinction. Um, you typically wouldn't change colors in the middle of a layer. Mm-hmm. You would change after that layer completes. Um, but you can change colors. Um, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Most of the slicing programs have um, a way to set uh, different colors. Um, so, um, if you have a printer, most printers only have like a single input feed. Um, so you would need to manually, so you need to stop the print and then manually usually, it it would usually go beep. I need my spool changed and you go over and eject the old one, put the new one in and say, okay, I'm ready. Continue your print. Mm -hmm. However, um, there are add-ons specifically, I mean, other printers have these too. But the model of printer I have has an add-on you can purchase that will turn it into a multi-feed printer, so you can get up to four, up to four different colors, and it will it will automatically change between the four. That's pretty cool. As you go using using this like changing method though, um, because uh, you have to like before you when you're switching the colors you have to extrude enough plastic to make sure you have that like intermix region of plastic completely out um so when you are switching colors you have a lot more waste plastic right yeah that makes sense is there any sort of um like if i were to design my own thing um are there any sort of shapes or things that literally cannot be 3d printed i you know, in my experience, I haven't run into any. I'm, I'm sure there must exist something that you can't do. Um, every every manufacturing method has limitations. However, mm-hmm. um, like the, the trickiest things um, will be, um, you know, things that require supports uh, when you're printing, right? Um, like, like, for example, I'm thinking of a Death Star. Like, it's, it's a sphere, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess it would 
print out a base for it that then you would you would then cut off correct yeah and then sand to make it a sphere like that sort yeah, of thing yeah you would typically print out like a brim on the bottom um and maybe some some supports uh that would hold up the sphere like oh right so like vertical supports so, to help hold it up um just so it wouldn't like roll off the table would that be something that the um, slicer software would do for me? Or would my 3D design that I make in like Blender or something like that, would I just design the Death Star or would I, you know, put a, a base on it? Uh, you could go either route, um, mm -hmm. but the slicer can inject supports for you uh, if you specify them. Um, there okay. are also some like dissolvable uh, filaments that some of the higher end uh, 3d printers can use or that they will use like they'll they'll have like the both of the they'll have like two printing heads so the dissolvable filament will be attached to one and the other filament will be attached to the other and they'll print all the supports with the dissolvable filament um and then that's really cool and then the rest with the regular one and then you can just uh, you know throw it in some hot water or whatever and uh that's really cool you're left with uh, your print um after it's printed um what about sanding like how rough is some of the prints like i've seen some of the things that have come out of yours um and they didn't look too bad but i i only saw the board game inserts so they were they were mostly kind of you know rectangular pieces yeah they were rough um i've printed some really high resolution models uh, with really really tiny uh, layer thicknesses and they've come out like you know very smooth but if I was gonna like paint them and use them as a minifig or something, like you know, I was I was into if I was into like painting minis and having really cool painted pieces, like you would definitely need to send any three D printed part. Um, right. Some three D printers, um, they'll use like you could. There's a method of smoothing using um, I can't remember. Use some sort of like organic solvent mist to kind of smooth the edges on your three D mm. print. Um. So some of some of the higher end printers have options like that, or you could, you know, make your own little enclosure to do something like that, um, and that that would kind of take some of the work out of it. You got to be careful with that because any of like your like fine details could get uh, dissolved out. But the same thing could happen sanding as well, right? So, oh, totally, um, yeah. It's more about the the care and attention to detail that that you take personally when you're sanding that to really keep those details in there if if they're important to you, right? Um, hey, going through my questions, um, a lot of it has just been answered in your overview. That was awesome. Um, what about, um, is there anything, let's say I don't want to design something. Mm -hmm. Is there anything where I could take, uh, for example, my cell phone and do like a 360 panorama around, you know, some object that I want to duplicate and, have it create a design file out of that? Is that possible? I'm not sure if it's like I'm sure you could do it with a cell phone or maybe multiple cell phones or, or cameras in general. Um, there yeah. are products out there that do 3D scanning uh, in a way similar to that, and they'll have like a like a base, and then the camera will rotate around, or the base rotates, and the camera gets like all the angles and takes like a million photos to composite the model. Um, and then typically you would have to go in and kind of uh, clean up that model afterwards because there will be all sorts of little artifacts 
um, from right. that process. Uh, but it can yeah. get you... Because it's like an auto generator. It'll get you like thing. 95% of the way there, right? Um, right. It's definitely possible, and the technology does exist. Uh, so you wouldn't have to like, really cook cool. something up yourself or anything. I, I, I've been meaning to ask you, um, 3D printing pens. I saw, I saw an ad on Facebook of a 3D printing pen, mm-hmm. and it basically it was you know some kid holding this monstrosity of a pen mm-hmm. and it was just you know shooting out molten plastic yep. onto like any surface do you think that those actually work or is it just kind of gimmicky or um I is think it, is it just a toy or actually worth looking into i think they work i think um like anything um that's free form like that and not uh computer controlled it takes a lot of skill uh, to make something that actually looks good. Um, right. I would kind of, you know, put on the same level as like carving or sculpting, right? Um, mm. You just have to be skilled with the tool to use it, to use it well and make something that looks good. Um, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't get one. I'm not terribly artistic in that way. <laughs> <laughs> and I would probably just end up with a bunch of silly strings. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I would have, um, you know, 3D phallic objects everywhere. I mean, you could still have those with a regular 3D printer, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But but the fact that you've made a design file for something, you know, yeah. so infantile. Well, you could, you, could, <laughs> you could take a scan, a 3D scan, Greg. Oh, <laughs> a 360 panorama. <laughs> Lookout porn industry. Oh, they're on board already, I'm sure. They're innovators. Yeah, they're innovators. Huh. Much of the internet's uh, advancements have been attributed to porn sites, Greg. And, you know, the COVID pandemic has been just the spur of innovation. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's going to be amazing to see what, what people come up with, you know, after we've kind of come out of this phase there's been a whole bunch of people just working at home, working on it, uh, you know, random stuff, just kind of tinkering in their garage and stuff. It's going to be very cool. Yeah. I wish I had time to tinker in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people are still working from home, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's the craziest thing that you've seen 3D printed? Because uh, I, I know sometimes when I go to um, um, like Comic-Cons or, or something like that, I always see... Uh, Lego, that blows my mind. Uh-huh. Like, how was that built with Lego? And I'm wondering if there's, you know, like a 3D print equivalent of that for you. Um, the the craziest thing I've probably seen 3D printed was uh this. It was this like gauntlet, and uh, the gauntlet was 3D printed all at the same time, so it wasn't assembled after. And like it had fully articulating fingers that could move and stuff, so the parts were. Like, 3D printed all at the same time, but actually not connected to each other. Um, maybe they used um, SLS, like, laser sintering um, with the powder yeah. to do it. That would probably be the easiest way to achieve that effect. But I just thought it was so cool that you could 3D print something that could articulate that way and you didn't have to assemble. And it was just, like, ready to go off the machine. That's pretty sweet. Was it, like, a uh, like a Thanos Infinity Gauntlet? Uh, no, it was, it was a part for like a, it was like a robot hand sort of looking thing. 
Um, and also, cool. like, all the... You know that movie Ghost in the Shell that came out based yeah. on that anime? So, like, all the... Like, the Android stuff for that movie was 3D printed. Oh, cool. Yeah, very cool. All right, well, I, I don't have any more questions. I feel like I've mastered 3D printing without, without 3D printing anything. Good. I'm sure uh, you'll be humbled <laughs> should you ever try to 3D print something. I know, I know I've been humbled many times by my by 3D your, printer. By uh, your so. silly string <laughs> yeah, phallic silly, prints. Like, right? why, why didn't that work? What have I done wrong? Uh, why, you know, there's all sorts of little things that can go wrong that you wouldn't even think could happen. Um, but, uh, you know, typically it doesn't happen more than once once you're aware of, of the mistakes you can right. make. And if you do make a mistake, just you can just blame the slicer, right? I mean, you could. Slicer's fault. It's probably not the slicer's fault, I would say. Probably your fault. It, <laughs> no, it's it's uh, 100% slicer's fault. Bad bad slicer bad slicer know? okay yep <laughs> all right you want to end it there yeah let's uh let's all call right, it a day it. you can uh find out more about um knickknack nerd by heading to you know any of our social media or knickknacknerd.com if you want to write in uh, you can send us an email at hello at knickknacknerd.com uh, you can also visit our Patreon, um, patreon.com slash knickknacknerd. And you can download and subscribe to this podcast on any podcast platform and uh, leave us a review. That really helps us out. I'm Greg. I'm Anthony. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.